is a Woodside Church podcast. The last few weeks we've been um, hearing about a guy in the Bible who's not terribly well known called Nehemiah, who was involved in rebuilding. And so I thought I'd just take a moment, step back, and try and get a bigger picture of um, what it's all about. So um, God made a world. Oh my goodness, all the way back to creation. This is a bit of a, bit of a recap. <laughs> yeah, God made a world. And he made people to, to rule that world, to take care of it, to serve and to worship him, and above all, to have a love relationship with God in this world where we work and where we live. Um, the old, one, old people say that we were made to enjoy and glorify God forever. And, you know, that, that was how we were made. That was the plan. Um, mankind has rebelled against that blueprint. Rather than being serving in God's house, he'd rather run his own show. Um, and that shows out in all, all sorts of ways. We'd like to make our, decide ourselves what's right and wrong, what are the boundaries. Um, man effectively has rebelled against God. And the bad that we see in this world is the result of that and the consequences of that. That's how we understand the world as it is today. Um, God didn't walk away from the world. He punishes rebellion. It, it arouses his anger. But at the same time, he has a plan of love to at least restore some of mankind to its, his original state, that state of being, you know, from, so he wants to transform us from being rebels deserving judgment into sons receiving his undeserved love. That's been God's plan for thousands of years. He chose one man called Abraham and gave him crazy promises which Abraham believed. And those promises have been coming true ever since. God promised that through Abraham's descendants, all the families in the world would be blessed. The good thing, some people from out, out of all of these groups in the world would be restored back to that state of being children of God, enjoying friendship and fellowship with him. And that's been going on. That's, that's really the backstory to history. From Abraham's descendants, he created a people, and the Israelites, and they were supposed to show the rest of the world what life as a people of God looked like. But their own hearts had not been transformed. They themselves had not been restored fully back to that relationship. They, they needed to be born again back into the way the man had been before he rebelled. And uh, so these people, God gave them a land. He, put a, he, he placed his name in the middle of it. Uh, he, a city he chose, Jerusalem. He, they built a temple there to worship him. And there was a sense that God was in the midst of his people. An extraordinary privilege. You shall be, I shall be your God and you shall be my people, he said. But they weren't faithful to him. They followed after other gods and they, they broke his laws of love. And God brought enemies against them, first to discipline them, and then when it got so bad, they were scattered. And most of the Israelites were scattered into the nations. One tribe, the tribe of Judah, most of them remained. And that's why they were called Jews. And then... Another nation came, the Babylonians came and took these people into exile to Iraq, uh, well, what is Iraq now? And um, the temple was destroyed, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, its walls were pulled down. Less, about 70 years later, a new empire appeared called Persia, Iran, uh, as it would be these days, and the Jews were allowed to go back, and they started rebuilding the temple. And... They were a small remnant, but with a big hope that one day they were going to have a new king 
And there, there are so many promises. That promise to bless all the world. But they were just little people. They were just little people. And that's where Nehemiah comes in. Um, he's living a comfortable life in Iran. And he hears that Jerusalem's in a mess. Somehow the people have got discouraged. It's decades have gone by. It's nearly 100 years since they've gone back. And the walls of Jerusalem have not been built. The city is unprotected. And it's also disgraced. This is supposed to be God's city that's going to shine out to the rest of the world. And it doesn't even have walls and gates. It doesn't even match up to a, I don't know what, to a village. So, so he, he, he senses that. He senses that disgrace. It's not about his own personal difficulties. He's, he's fine. He's cupbearer to the king. But he goes over there. And he sees the mess. He finds out that it's worse than he'd heard. But he inspires the people to start rebuilding. That's a story. We've been drawing parallels between that and the situation today. But I, I do want to make a little bit of a connection between then and now. Um, that, uh, yeah, you know, because it, it just feels like a long time ago. That's 440 BC. And, you know, we're 2021 AD. Something has happened. The story has gone on. There was another promise made. At about the same time, while he's wanting to rebuild this walls, the strange thing is there's another promise made through the prophet Zechariah saying Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it and I will be its glory within. And that didn't happen then. And this remnant hung on. It's not too much of a spoiler to tell you that Nehemiah wins. You know, it, it, it does work. And, and these people survive for 400 years until Jesus is born. God decides to visit planet Earth in the shape of a human being. And he lives this extraordinary life which tips so many of man's expectations upside down. That uh, He's showing what it's like to be that restored human being um, again to man. And he does amazing things. He has a manifesto. And his manifesto is... Healing for the sick, release for the, for the captives, good news for the poor. Good news that can change them, that can, that can bring them back into that relationship and people start following him. But his own people as a political entity at least reject him and kill him by crucifixion. That was also in God's plan. It was also foreseen. And what was intended for evil turned out for good because he is paying, he was paying the penalty that all of our rebellion has deserved. Every wicked act for instance, since the beginning of time through to the things that we've heard this week, Christ, because he's, he's so mighty, carried on his shoulders on the cross. It's all forgivable. Every pothole can be filled in. And he rose, he rose again from the dead. He's so mighty he could carry all that lot. It's potentially all gone if we will turn to Christ to Christ and, and say, I believe, I'm yours. He comes alive again, and he tells his followers to go and tell this news to the world. And this is where Jerusalem becomes a city without walls. Now it's going all over the earth. It's come here. You know, it's, it's, it's come here, it's come to Tibet, it's come to, to house groups in China, prison camps in North Korea, caves, you know. The, the good news of Jesus has spread around the world. Brothers and sisters, we're living in great days, much better days than Nehemiah's. You know, Jerusalem has become a city without walls and an uncountable number of men. I'm not sure what the animals were in that part, but uncountable number of, of people and, and so on in, in, in that city. 
And yet, we can identify with the situation that Nehemiah was in. And Nehemiah stirred the people to get rebuilding. It's not all good, as we know. There's sometimes, too, we look back on times in the past where it seems that far more people knew God. God was moving in such, so much a mightier way, and we sort of, we can get discouraged. We can get depressed. But I love what Jonathan said last week. I want to be part of something that will last forever. Yeah. You know, when you join in this plan that's been going on down the ages... I'm becoming a part of something that will last forever. That's, that's good, that. You talked about stepping out from the boredom of comfort. And I listened to that and thought, yeah. You know, there's a lot of me that's bored. It's too much, too much attention to comfort. It's, it's, it's okay for a time. But, you know, I mean, our, our nation is, is fanatical about entertainment. And, you know, and, and sluggish about the things of God. And you think, I want to be part of something that lasts Forever. And so did Nehemiah and his people. You know, they, they joined up. They signed on the dotted line. And then they find, lo and behold, that it's difficult. And so we're going to read out the text. We actually got to what I'm supposed to be talking about now, um, which is Nehemiah 4. And I would love it if you had buzzers and you could put your fingers on the buzzers every time we meet a problem. So that's what I want you to be listening for. Let's hear what are the problems that they faced. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight because they've thrown insights, insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall. All, until all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble, we can't rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them, have you a lot of buzzers, quite a lot of buzzes going on? Yeah. <laughs> then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they'll attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our work. From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. 
the officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work in one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, officials, and rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, to the people let every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor my guards took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went to water. Well, it's an exciting story, isn't it? It's brilliant. Hands up, any problems? I think I would like from the audience. Let, let's hear, have you spotted that they had any difficulties? Uh, let's hear some. Anybody? Insults. Insults. Okay. Yeah. Opposition. Opposition. Bit more detail on that? Yeah. Yeah, there was opposition. They had enemies, didn't they? Um, any others? Threats. Threats. That's right. Yes, there were threats. Well, thank you. That's a start. There are more, and we'll, we'll just try and run through them quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is an enemy, and he gets cross when we do something. We've heard this morning about, you know, actually, strangely enough, it's not just at atoms and molecules in this universe. There are, thing, there are powers unseen. There's God, for starters. Um, there's angels. There's also, there are also fallen angels, the, the, the devil and his, his crew. And... Um, if we do nothing, he's all right. You know, while they, were, while they were passive, they got by, but they were living in disgrace. As soon as they moved, anger starts to happen. As soon as they get a bit of success, there's more anger. But you know what? They won in the end. They got through. But there, you know, we can expect, though, when we start a work for God, you know, expect that there will be some comeback. And... You know, you think of old John Bunyan from this town. You know, his whole picture of the, the, the Christian's walk was, a, was, a, was a, a fight, and there's things happening here and there. An example in my own life, and years ago, years ago, there was, uh, there was this Billy Graham came to England, and the church I was in, we wanted to go around, or they said they wanted to go around and invite people door to door and hand out invites. Uh, it's a rather scary thing to do, I felt. But, um, so go up to the first door and knock on it, and this man opens it and he says, he looks at the invite for one moment, then he says to me, go and see a psychologist, and slams the door. <laughs> now, every other person after that was friendly, or at least cordial, um, often welcoming. But the first one, woof! And, you know, if you, if you do decide to join in, in the building work, you know, don't be put off by a bit of that. There's ridicule, as we saw. And, and just say, worse than ridicule is, is when I myself begin to despise the work. Because when I became a Christian, I didn't think much of the church. I mean, what you soak up from the media, it's not something worth giving much attention or effort to, is it? Um, you know, so be careful. Be careful of that. We, you know, this is actually what God's been doing for 3,000 years. He's been gathering a people. He's been putting us back, back in touch with God. It's the big story. So let, let's see it like that. In the end of the day... Nehemiah, he offers up a rather vindictive prayer. He gets it out of the system, let us say. And then 
um, they just carry on building. What can you do? You know, just carry on. They carry on. In the end, the other guys look silly because they did build the wall. You know, a fox, it was 40 foot high and 8 foot thick, said Ron May last week. You know, they, they did it. So, you know, if we will proceed, you know, that, that laughter will start to disappear. In, in fact, it turned to fear. Then you get the, you get the threats. Um, I won't go through all of that, but there's, there's intimidation, there's exhaustion too. It's just, it's a big job. There doesn't seem any end to it. Um, we'll, we'll, I'll meet that at the end. There was discouragement from some of the, the locals who should have been on our side. The Jews who lived near us came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Now, that was probably useful intelligence. It's important to know that. But it doesn't sound very faith-filled either. You know, it was, they, and it doesn't sound like these guys were doing anything to help build the wall. So you, you can get that stuff as well. Um, and there was, people were scattered. People were vulnerable. And... Uh, Nehemiah pays a special attention to that. You know, he's got a trumpeter. He says, when you hear the trumpet, rush down there. And he says the trumpeter stayed with him. So it sounds like if, if Nehemiah saw people are isolated or vulnerable, he ran. And you know, at this time, I sort of wonder, we say it's a special time of rebuilding. What, what can I do that's maybe a little bit additional or different to what I might do anyway in my church life, work life, whatever? Isolation is epidemic. And we've been enculturated into, into it. We've been told it's safer. Um, you know, I don't argue with the measures that were taken in the past, but it has to end at some point. It's not good. And sometimes they don't even realize it's not good anymore. There have been times I've, I've dragged myself along to something and went, whoo, that did me good. And, you know, it, it, we, we, we need to help people out of that. You know, I could be in touch with someone I've not seen for a while, not seen maybe at church or not seen in some other context. We have a whole befriending service because it's so widespread. It's something you could get involved in. But think about faces you haven't seen before. It might be just a phone call. It might be you think, oh, there's somebody actually I need to take on board because, of course, you can feel isolated. You can be isolated even if you are turning up on Sunday or, or whatever. You know, is there someone I can take on board? Is there somebody I could be mentoring? Is there somebody I could be, you know... If, the Arabs say, if, you part, if, if you're one night older, you're one trick wiser. Maybe, I may not know everything, but I might have one trick I can show, show somebody. Um, so, isolation, he paid special care for that. As for his strategies to overcome, that's what I'm trying to finish on. What, what to be honest, I think Marion said it pretty well. Um, <laughs> there's a lot in there. I think... I want to focus on verse 14, which is, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. It sounds strange to say, remember the Lord. They were about the work of God. I mean, this, is the, this people didn't exist without God. The city only existed because God had appointed it and, and made it. They were the children of Abraham who had a child by a miracle. They'd been brought out of Egypt only because of direct intervention by God. But in Nehemiah's own day, they weren't seeing fire descending from heaven. They weren't seeing outstanding miracles. But um, it, was, it was still going to count. When they built that wall, all the people around were going to realize that this had been done because of, because of God. Um, but they needed to remember God. They needed to remember that, you know, he was... He's going to make it succeed. You know, if we put our hands to the work, he's going to make it succeed. In our own cases as Christians, Jesus is the root and we're the branches. 
and we can draw life from him. Well, we're supposed to, actually. He says, you can't do anything without me, which is why Nehemiah is such a good model, because he always prays first, and then he does. He doesn't just pray, and he doesn't just do. He prays first, seriously, and then he does seriously. And it's the same thing. We have our roots in God. We will bear fruit. We've got Father God himself pruning the branch to make sure that there's going to be lots of fruit. So, um, <laughs> yeah, remember God. Remember God in the things we do. We, we need to pray like that. And then he says, fight for your wives, wives and your daughters and your, your homes. And it gets very personal then. So we've, we've, we've heard this great strategic picture but often where the fighting happens, as, as we heard there, is about situations that we're, we face up against. There was one time when Jesus, on a mountain, was filled with glory, and three of his disciples saw this amazing divine figure. And they come down the hill, and they find the rest of his followers have failed to be able to cure, to deliver a boy. And the people are sort of laughing at them. Jesus is totally powerful, but they're not seeing any results. And when they ask him why not, Jesus says, this sort you need to deal with in prayer and fasting. And in simple language, he says, sometimes there is a fight. And there's a call to that. Uh, The people in Nehemiah's day had fallen into a stupor. And there's a risk that we can as well. Sometimes we have to fight. Um, Marion gave examples of the sort of weapons one can use, the truth. It mentions here things like swords and spears and things. They all have meaning in the Bible. Truth and faith and the word of God and keeping those things close. I can think of one example. You see, a lot of the time you just pray, but sometimes you really pray. And it's often in those times you find really answers. Um, I have to be a bit vague. It's, it's just one time I can think of in the last year. Um, I have to be a bit vague because I haven't asked the people concerned who are nowhere near here. Um, but it was, it was about a child who was uh, in a real situation of distress. And I remember one Sunday morning, just it, it got to me. It's, it was actually, it's rather good. Are there any situations that have got to you? I think we need to have more things get to us. Blessed are the sad because they will be comforted. Uh, not blessed are the drugged, blessed are the ones who switched off, blessed are the ones... Yeah, anyway, get the point. I was worked up about it. And I said, Lord, Lord, um, you know, how can you, Lord? How? And, and, and so on. And, just, just, and that week, I wasn't the only one praying. I don't know if, you know, I, I can't possibly say in God's economy how it worked out. But that week was a turning point for that child. You know, hallelujah. I don't care if it was my prayer or not. I, please, you know. But, but, you know, what's your fight? Who can fight with you? You know, it's, it's, isolation doesn't help. Who can fight with you over your fight? That might be the thing to take away to think about this week. What's the situation that I need breakthrough for? I need to get praying with someone. Maybe I need to get declaring some truth. I need to be looking out. There are resources. There are resources in the people of God. Finally, the final point is that you can do without a bed and pajamas, but water is a necessity. And, yeah, we don't have any answer to the exhaustion problem in here. We don't hear Nehemiah saying anything particular. There's nothing particularly here, except we discover a few chapters later that he kept a day off. And if you have a day off where you do not what you have to do, but what will revive you, restore you, and worship, um, you'll survive a lot better, that's for sure. But 
they also, I mean, they had to, the, the work was there, you know, it, it wasn't going to go away, but they, they had to just do it bit by bit, take their day of rest, and they needed water. And water in the Bible, if anyone believes in me, streams of living water will flow from their soul. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We can come to him and drink. Again, it's lovely. We heard about that in the service. I feel I've drunk a bit already. Um, you can drink a lot in this. So let's stand and let's ask God for his Holy Spirit. And because we'll need, we'll need him for the work and we'll need him anyway. Lord Jesus, you've made things that there is a fight and that will do us good in the end. But Lord Jesus, I thank you that there's water every day. And Lord Jesus, we come to you for your Holy Spirit. We ask you, please fill us with your Holy Spirit. You said if you ask, if you ask my Father, won't he give you the Holy Spirit? Lord Jesus, we just come, we just come. And feel free to ask yourself personally, just make your own prayer silently or out loud as you like just just ask your prayer Lord Jesus we want to be part of something that will last forever Lord Jesus help us to to play our part Lord Jesus, help us to be up for a fight, Lord God. I thank you, actually, in this story, it didn't come to bloodshed. Hallelujah. It was wonderful, Lord God. Help us, Lord Jesus, though, to take our place. And uh, help us, Lord Father God, and, um, to take our place, Lord Father God, among your people. Pray, show us, uh, Father God, how we can help those who are more isolated. If we are isolated, show us how we can get less isolated, Lord. Father God, please... Uh, Please help us to use the wonderful weapons you've given us of truth, Father God, of faith, of the word of God. Father God, please help us to really pray, Father God. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, God. Just stay in prayer for a moment. Thank you, Peter. So helpful. So helpful to be reminded that as we commit ourselves to building something that will last forever... That, that doesn't mean that the challenge is an, easy, is an easy walk. We know that opposition will come, difficulties will come, uh, internally or externally. And uh, I just want to just allow us to seal these things in our hearts with God. Even maybe to connect the things that maybe you were concerned about as you walked in this morning. Anxieties, challenges, might be financial provision, might be job security, might be health, might be concerns for family or friends, might be concerns for yourself, whatever it might be. Just almost to recognize that this isn't, see, knowing God isn't about uh, living in a place of unreality. It's actually living in a place of reality, but having faith in God in the midst of that reality. It's like peace in the chaos. And I uh, just want us to, just to join those two up. And then I want to just pray for us that we would know the presence of God 
the, the water as the imagery that the Bible often uses, streams of, of living water flowing through mm. us. When we come against anxiety, when we come against challenge, when we come against, come against opposition or problems or, or whatever it might be for you, to know God's provision, not just now, but in that moment, tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month. Because that's what being a believer is like. It's, it's the life of God living in us. So I pray that for myself, Lord. I pray that for all of us, that we would know whatever we're facing, whatever challenge is before us, that, Lord God, you would, in those moments, not just now, but in those moments, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would have livers, sorry, livers, um, <laughs> rivers of living water. I mean, we want livers as well, don't we, really? Lord, I pray that your power and your presence will be flowing through us. Lord, whatever we face today or tomorrow, that we don't face it alone, we face it with you. And we know you, Jesus, are the risen King Jesus, the victorious one. You're at the, you're at the side of the Father now. That's like a place of honour, a place of the job is done. And we live in the good of that. Even when we face challenges today or tomorrow or the next day. Lord, we know that we do not face those things alone and we can call out to you. We can stand on truth. We can rely on faith. We can stand on you. We pray, would you do all those things for us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Peter, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you everyone. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.